today we are starting a new series that's going to take us, as Pastor Shauna said, through the season of Lent. And the series is entitled Good and Beautiful and Kind. These are three words that we all long for. Goodness, beauty, kindness. These are words that our family longs for, our, our nation longs for, our world longs for. Goodness, beauty, and kindness. And it's a word that, three words that often don't characterize our existence, don't characterize our relationships don't characterize our world as a whole. And so we're going to be looking at these words and, and really exploring what gets in the way of goodness, what gets in the way of beauty and kindness, and what does it mean to cultivate wholeness and goodness and beauty and kindness in our world. And, and those three words actually emerge from a poem uh, written by the great African-American poet Langston Hughes. Langston Hughes wrote a poem entitled Tired in which he said, I am so tired of waiting, aren't you, for the world to become good and beautiful and kind. Let us take a knife and cut the world in two and see what worms are eating at the rind. And when Hughes uses that language of let's cut the world in two, he's not talking about furthering the already existing division that permeates our world. This is not language of division. This is language of depth. That until we understand and look beneath the surface of human existence to really get at the worms of society, we will not move towards the goodness and the kindness and the beauty that we long for. And so as we begin our series today, I want to talk about the worms of sin, the worms of sin. This morning, we're going to talk about sin. Woohoo! I know you woke up this morning and said, I, you know, I just want a good sermon about sin. I, and so uh, that's what you're going to get, uh, a good sermon on sin this morning. And we're going to look at a passage of scripture out of Romans chapter 3. And by the end of the sermon... By the end of the sermon, I'm going to tell you why, and this sounds pretty provocative, and someone came to me after church and said, Rich, oh, that sounds really uncomfortable. I'm going to tell you why sin is our only hope. Why sin is our only hope. Romans chapter 3, beginning at verse number 22 uh, and through verse 25, it says these words, hear the word of the Lord. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. They are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. God presented him as an atoning sacrifice in his blood, received through faith to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his restraint God passed over the sins previously committed. But I want to spend my time on verse 23, a verse that many of us are familiar with. For all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. When 2023 started, I did my usual practice. At the beginning of the year, I go to the bookstore looking for a few new books to read. And so I got to this bookstore and started looking around and found myself in the section where there's memoirs and biographies. And I thought, you know what, I could use a good memoir, a good biography to start off the year, not just reading theology and such. And so I get to uh, this part of the bookstore and come across a book that I've seen for a long time, uh, but I've never read before. And I thought, this seems like a good season, a good time to read the book. The book is entitled, When I Was Puerto Rican. When I Was Puerto Rican. It's a delightful, delightful book about a young girl in the 1950s and 60s who lived as a jibara, which is a country, a word for a country dweller in Puerto Rico. 
And it tells about her migration from Puerto Rico to Brooklyn, New York. And when I read the book, I was really delighted to see the commonalities in my life as a Puerto Rican New Yorker and her life as someone in the motherland. And when she would write about her stories, I would find delight, especially when she would write about food. She'd talk about eating acapurrias and pernil and sancocho and pasteles and maduros. And, and every page, my mouth was watering. I was like, that's right. Yes, exactly right. But I also appreciated the conversation she had with her father about a number of different topics, in particular, the topics around God, around religion, around church. She had one conversation with her father around the conversation of sin, and I wanna share with you the conversation she had with her father about sin. She says, Papi, what is sin? And Papi says, a sin is when you do something that makes God angry. Like what? Well, let's see, there's the first commandment, honor thy father and mother, which by the way, that's not the first commandment. <laughs> that's just a Puerto Rican father trying to set things in, in order here. The first commandment is, you know, there, you shall have no other gods besides me here, but this father says, let's see, there's the first commandment, honor your father and mother. What's a commandment? It's actually commandments. God wrote 10 of them so people would know what to do. What do the others say? Thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. And they continue. What does that mean? It means you shouldn't mention God except in prayers. You can't say, adios mio, uh, not technically, but everyone says it. Very religious people don't. We're not religious, right? And Papi says, we don't go to church, but we believe in God. She asks, is it a sin not to go to church? He says, if you're Catholic. <laughs> Are we Catholics? He says, yes, but not very good ones. Now, when people think about sin, that's often how they tend to think about it. It's something that you made God mad about something, you, you mentioned God's name in a wrong way, and, and it's those things that constitute what sin actually is. But I want to talk about sin today because it's much weightier than that conversation. It's much weightier than the ways we tend to think about sin. And so I want to spend our morning reflecting on the topic of sin. It's not a popular word. It's not something that people get really excited to reflect on, and yet it's something we must focus on because it's not something that's found in our public discourse. You're not going to hear the word sin in the media. You're probably not going to talk about it in the workplace. And even amidst the most horrifying, tragic events in our world, you're often not going to hear the word sin. When you look at the horrific shooting in California during the Lunar New Year weekend, you didn't hear the word sin come up. When Tyree Nichols was brutally murdered by police officers in Memphis, you did not hear the word sin come up. When tragedy struck in Turkey and, and Syria, and we've been praying this morning for those that have lost their lives, in the public discourse, we did not hear the language of sin come up. What we often tend to hear, though, is language of disease and maladjustment and addiction and deficiency. It is not that these words are unimportant. These words are very important. These words help us understand our social and our human condition. These words are often very important. But beneath all of these words is sin. And I want to talk about sin. 
And the reason we need to talk about sin is because we cannot truly understand and work for a solution if we don't have a clear understanding of the problem. We don't really know what the problem is. We can't truly work for a solution. It reminds me, in 2020, during the month of March, when everything started closing down because of the pandemic, when the NBA season came to an end and people started closing their workplaces and all that, I was in San Diego, California, speaking at a church, and they said, you know, we're going to have to close this entire gathering down. And I remember going back on the, 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 the planes, heading back to New York, and when we got news that this pandemic has reached our land, but we did not know the extent of the problem. We did not know the nature of the problem. Therefore, we did not have a proper solution at that moment. We thought that it was, had to do with just, if we just uh, wipe everything down, we'd just be fine. And so I remember going into the airplane and the flight attendants were giving out Clorox wipes to everyone to wipe down uh, the airplane, not knowing that this disease is airborne as well. And so we got into the plane and we wiped down that airplane. A plane has never been so clean. I've, I mean, we were wiping everything down, not knowing that this problem is airborne as well. You see, we did not really understand the nature of the problem. Therefore, we could not really understand a solution at that particular moment. And so the same applies as we talk about sin. Why is the world and the place that it's in? Because of sin. And once we understand what that is, we can properly position ourselves to understand what is the solution that is before us. Now, to talk about sin, I recognize that there are at least three people in this room, and three of you, uh, three of us watching online. The first person is the person who is crushed by the thoughts of their sin. Maybe you came into church today feeling great shame because of maybe an addiction you're carrying, shame because of an ongoing struggle that you're battling. And you came into church just under the weight of guilt and shame and condemnation. That's the first kind of person. And for you, I have really good news to hopefully will, will lift up your countenance and fill you with the breath and the grace of God. But the first person is the person who's crushed by the thought of their sin. The second person who's watching and listening is the person who is happy by the thought of sin particularly when it's the sin of somebody else. As a pastor being here for 15 years, I've had conversations in the lobby after service, and someone at a certain parts of the year would say, Pastor Rich, thank you for the sermon, but when are we going to talk about this sin? And it's usually the sin of someone else. And so I usually go, are you struggling with that sin? They go, no, I'm not struggling with that sin. But what are you struggling with? Maybe we should talk about that next week as well. It's very easy to focus on what everybody else is struggling with as opposed to what we're struggling with. And so the first person is crushed by the weight of sin. The second person just wants particular sins to be addressed so that they can feel good about themselves. And the third person really has no relationship to God as it relates to the righteousness of God. You don't even think about sin. This is something that doesn't come to your mind whatsoever. And so whether you fall on the first, the second, or the third category, I hope that your, your heart would be open to what Scripture says in this passage. Now, when Paul talks about we've sinned and we've fallen short of the glory of God, it's important to note that there's a couple of ways to think about what sin is. And I want to summarize it in this way. Sin is either something that people do 
but it's also a power that people are under. Not just something people do, but a power that humanity is under. For the first one, sin is, is the misdeeds, the, the, the actions, the things we do, the things we don't do that don't al align with God's ideal for our lives. It doesn't align with God's righteousness and God's character, and all of us have sinned in this way. But what I, I want to emphasize the second part of sin because Paul talks about it in this way, that sin is a power that people are under. And there's one particular passage in the, in the book of Romans that Paul really gets at someone who is trapped under the burden, under the weight, under the force of sin. In Romans chapter 7, this is what he says. He says, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do. Anybody can identify with this here? Paul continues, and if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is, it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. He continues, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law. But I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Here is someone who cannot get out of his own way. Who is so, here is someone who is crushed under the weight, under the force, under the dominion, under the power of sin. He wants to do good, but something is at work in him and something is at work over him. And he finds himself in bondage. And when Paul writes this language in Romans chapter 7, he's not talking about particular sins. He's not talking about compulsive shopping. He's not talking about gossiping. He's not talking about workaholism. He's not talking about sexual addictions. He's not talking about drug addictions. He's talking about something larger. He's talking about sin. And one of the problems that we have in the church or the limits we have in the church is we have language often for sins but not for sin. Sins, but not for sin. And one of the ways to keep someone trapped in sin is to simply address sins. But sins is the expression of something that's much deeper. There's a sin beneath the sins. And Jesus came to forgive us of our sins and to free us from sin. Now, some of you are probably scratching your head going, what in the world are you talking about right now? Let me explain it this way. When we think about sin, we often categorize. These are the sins. These are the lying, the stealing, the lust, the killing, all the things. And we say, those are, that's sin. But that's, that's really sins. Sin is a stronghold, a force, a principle, a power that orients us inward. And Paul says, basically, we must be delivered from the power of sin. And this is important because you can overcome certain sins, but still be under sin. Come on, somebody. Work with me here. 
And this is why we should never compare our sins to others. This is why we should never have a hierarchy of sins. And the church often specializes in uh, creating a hierarchy of what sins are and what's the worst sin and what's the, 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 least, uh, the most socially acceptable sin. But Paul says there's, there's sins and then there's another power at work in me. And all of us are in the same boat. Romans 3 says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That word all in the Greek language is all, okay? Uh, we're, we're getting deep here. Uh, it, it's, it's everybody. Every single one of us, we are in the same boat. And why is this important? Because human beings have a tendency of blaming everybody else for the problems in the world. The two manifestations of sin in the book of Genesis are shame and blame. You won't forget that, right? Shame and blame. What would he see? Adam and Eve, they eat from the tree that they should not have eaten from. And before that, they were naked and unashamed. They eat from the tree and they realize we're naked. They hide in shame. God comes and says, hey guys, what are you up to? He goes, where'd you get that outfit from? And, 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 they, and he, what happened? And the woman says, uh, or the guy says, you know, the woman you gave me. He starts blaming her. And then she goes, the devil did it. You know, the devil was the one. And the manifestations of sin is shame and blame. But Paul says, we're all in the same boat. Democrats and Republicans, we're all in the same boat. Wealthy people and those who are of little means, we're all in the same boat. Highly educated and illiterate, we're all in the same boat. Religious and atheists. We're all in the same boat. Those with massive criminal, criminal records and those who have never stepped foot in prison, we are all in the same boat. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And what Paul says here is important because the word fallen short, this doesn't really get at the nature of the estrangement that humanity has between God between God and one another, between God and between us and creation, between us and one another. That the word fallen short there is really could be translated void, empty of. What this makes it feel, it makes it sound like I almost made it. All have sinned and fallen short, meaning if I just went to one more church service, man, I, I almost made the glory of God. If I just memorized one more verse, man, I would have made the glory of God. If I only did one more good deed, ah, I would have made it. But it's not just, you just fall short of the goal. It's actually all have sinned and are void. We are totally empty of it. Empty of the glory of God. Why? And it's a power that cuts us off from God, cuts us off from one another, cuts us off from ourselves, cuts us off from creation. That is the nature of sin. And so our understanding of sin must be broadened because sin is more than simply the absence of bad. 
uh, I remember when I was a teenager, um, I used to read a, a lot of newspapers. Do you remember newspapers? Um, uh, you, you, would, you would turn pages, and your, your hands sometimes would get smudged with the ink. And, a wonderful thing. And uh, in high school, I used to, uh, every morning, uh, read the newspaper, and my goal was to do two things, to read the sports section and the comics. So that's all I did, the sports section and the comics. Me and my friend Larry, we would do that every morning in the library, read the sports section and then the comics. And he'd finish one paper, I'd give him the other, and we'd go back and forth and read all the stuff there. And so one of my favorite uh, comics growing up was just reading uh, C- Calvin and Hobbes. Remember Calvin and Hobbes, like the story of this little boy and, and his tiger friend. And, and these comics are really philosophical and, and theological, and it's just really wonderful, these, uh, these cartoons, these comic strips. And there was one conversation that I remember reading with Calvin having a conversation with Hobbes. And Calvin says, I'm getting nervous about Christmas. Hobbes says, you're worried you haven't been good. Calvin says, that's just the question. It's all relative. What's Santa's definition? How good do you have to be to qualify as good? I haven't killed anybody. That's good, right? I haven't committed any felonies. I didn't start any wars. Wouldn't you say that's pretty good? Wouldn't you say I should get lots of presents? And then Hobbes says, but maybe good is more than the absence of bad. And Calvin says, see, that's what worries me. That's what worries me. Sin is more than simply not doing bad things. Because you could avoid doing bad things and still be crushed under the weight of sin. The religious leaders in Jesus' day were really just good people. They tried hard. They went to church every day, and yet they found themselves stuck under the force and the power of sin. And so the question is, what does it mean to have our lives oriented by sin? I think St. Augustine, the great theologian of the church, helps us. St. Augustine said that sin in Latin can be, is, is in curvatus in se, which basically means to be curved in on oneself. To be curved in on oneself. Why are we all in the same, in the same boat with sin? Because all of us, because of sin, tend to be curved in on oneself. I got to thinking about this because Jesus says in the Gospels that the greatest commandment is to love God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. He says that's the greatest commandment. And I got to thinking, if that is the greatest commandment, then the greatest sin or the very essence of sin must be failure to love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength and to love our neighbors as ourselves. And so why is it that sin infects all of us? Because we tend to be curved in on ourselves, not loving God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving our neighbors as ourselves. And so at the essence of sin is the failure to love. To love God and to love neighbor as ourselves. This is why the power of sin, it, it, it's, it's manifested now. When you see racism, it's manifested. When you see classism, it's manifested. When you see violence, it's manifested. When you see uh, judgmentalism, we are all infected by it. As a matter of fact, the entire story of the Bible is one person after the next is messed up. This is why I I love, I'm in a cartoon kind of a mode today, I I love Homer Simpson's definition of the Bible. Homer says, what is the Bible? This, all these people are a mess except this one guy. (laughs) 
that's the Bible. <laughs> and who is that one guy? Of course, it's Jesus Christ. Everyone's a mess except this one guy. And so as we think about being under the weight of sin, a force that separates us from God, a force that separates us from one another, a force that separates us from ourselves, a force that separates us from all of creation, what does it mean for us to live not under its power anymore? And this is where we get some good news. You know, if I ended my sermon here and said, everyone, here's the word of the Lord, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Okay, let's pray, have a good time at the Super Bowl, all that stuff there. It'd be like, wait a second, this doesn't sound like good news to me. And aren't you glad that the Bible doesn't end and Paul doesn't end his train of thought with verse 23? Paul doesn't say all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God end of the story no 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 Paul continues and says and it's almost like he can't wait he can't wait and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith Paul says all have sinned and then praise the Lord God has done something about it which is why there's a good theological lesson here, brothers and sisters. The good theological lesson is that whenever we talk about sin, we must immediately announce that it has been conquered in Jesus. This is... There's a theologian, his name is Karl Barth, Swiss theologian. He says it this way, it's very fancy, and then I'm going to translate. He says, the reality of sin cannot be known or described except in relation to the one who has vanquished it. What does that mean? Let me make it plain. What does that mean? It means that whenever we talk about sin, we cannot talk about it outside of the knowledge that we have. That something has happened in Jesus Christ. That when he was crucified, when he rose from the dead, a power was released that made it possible, amen, for us not to be subjected to the dominion and the power of sin. That on the cross, it became the place where the power of sin was stripped and the place where Christ forgives us of our sin. And, and now we know what the solution is to the big problem that's before us. And how do we live not under sin's dominion? Number one, it means that we must rely on the cross. Amen, somebody. Rely on the cross. Paul says, you want to know what the solution is to this very real problem? It is the cross of Jesus Christ. Paul knows he does not have a, the strength to free himself from this kind of dominion. And Paul knows a few things. And I want to remind you of a few things. Paul knows that more education is not going to fix the problem of sin. Education is fantastic. You're not going to find anyone who's more pro-education than I am. Get all the degrees you can. Read all the books that you possibly can. But education alone is not strong enough for sin. Policies that work for greater justice in the world 
And you're not going to find someone who loves the policies that work for the common good and the flourishing of human beings and for justice and for people to be treated fairly and right and just. I love all of that, but good policies, no matter how good they are, are not going to address the power of sin. Spiritual disciplines, oh, you're not going to find someone who loves spiritual disciplines more than me. Maybe as much as me, but not more than me. I love spiritual disciplines. But no matter how good we are in spiritual disciplines, no matter how many times we show up and have good habits, that's not enough for the power of sin. Paul says we need something outside of ourselves. We need a power that we cannot create on our own. And praise the Lord, that power has shown up in the person of Jesus Christ. And on the cross, we find humanity at its very worst and God at his very best. On the cross, Jesus says, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. And on the cross, it's mysterious. I can't even explain it. It's hard. I've read all the books and I still can't explain it. Something happened in Jesus Christ that broke the power of sin that exists over us. And so because of this good news, and this is good news, there are a few implications that I want to share that I hope will get you really excited. The first implication is this. Because of the cross, it reminds us that God's grace is greater than your sin. Oh, praise the Lord. God's grace is greater than your sin. Now, if, if you were like, oh, that's pretty nice, uh, I, I, I'll, I'll tell you this then. If, if that's just like, oh, that's pretty good news, um, it, it just means that you probably haven't wrestled with the depth of how we are all infected by sin and when we know the extent to which we're in a bad place when we hear good news that oh and we have been justified by Jesus Christ oh that is news for celebration God's grace Siri's talking to me God's grace uh, talk back to me Siri somebody's going to talk back to me here. Uh, God's grace is greater than your sin here's some more good news God's grace is greater than your neighbor's sin. Now, that's when we go, now, wait a second, Pastor. <laughs> Which neighbor? <laughs> that neighbor. God's grace is greater than your neighbor's sin, greater than our sin. And when we hear this good news of God's grace, it is to lead to a particular practice that helps us live and relive into this reality that the cross is greater than our sin. As we approach the season of Lent in a week and a half, there's a practice that I want all of us to be reflecting on and practicing week day in and day out. We rely on the cross, but we are also called to confession of sin, to live our lives in such a way where we routinely confess our sin confessing our sin before God and confessing our sin before one another in a space where that confession can be absorbed and held and forgiven 
And of all people, Christians should be the first to confess our sin. Whenever racism happens in the world, Christians should say, yeah, yeah, and we've been complicit in that. Whenever there's classism, whatever kind of judgmentalism in the world, Christians should be the first. And as a matter of fact, I I truly believe that if Christians led the way in confession of sin, that our credibility in the world would find a different standing. Because we are leading the way. And if there's anyone who should be leading, it should be us. Why? Because we know the depth of our sin. And not only do we know the depth of our sin, we know the depth of the grace of God that has covered us in Christ Jesus. And therefore, we should be the first ones to confess our sin. I can't tell you how many people as a pastor here for 15 years, how many people have come to me with secrets, harboring shame, harboring the, all kinds of stuff that they've never shared with anyone and getting them to a place to say, you know you can name that and that there is grace for you in Jesus Christ. And to see them move from harboring something for years and then coming to a place where they finally are able to release it and to receive grace, you could see the change in their countenance, the change in their posture, the change in their body. There's a liveliness to them now. Why? Because they have confessed their sin and have received grace for their sin. And this is why, brothers and sisters, I want to circle back to what I said in the beginning, that this understanding of sin, this is why sin is our only hope. That phrase is actually taken from the great preacher Barbara Brown Taylor who said it this way. She said, sin is our only hope because the recognition that something is wrong is the first step towards setting it right. There is no help for those who admit no need of help. There is no repair for those who insist that nothing is broken. And there is no hope of transformation for a world who is ha- whose inhabitants accept that it is sadly but irrevers- irreversibly wrecked. Why is sin the hope of the world? It sounds like, well, that sounds really weird because it finally positions us to receive what only comes through Jesus Christ. Unless we understand the true nature of the problem, we cannot fully understand the solution to it. And on this day, brothers and sisters, may we recognize that the problem in this world is not simply a couple of policies that have not been corrected. The problem in this world is not simply that, oh, we just need to get more educated in this way. The problem in this world is not that we just need to try maybe a little bit harder for our spiritual disciplines. The problem of this world has been resolved in the person of Jesus Christ. And through his Holy Spirit now, he says, now I infuse you with my spirit in such a way to join me in the healing of the world, in the peacemaking of the world, in the shalom of the world, in the well-being of the world. But note where the solution is. It's found in the cross of Jesus. Amen. 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 Let me invite you to close your eyes for a moment. The practice of confession of sin is one that has marked the church from the very beginning. And it's one that we must continue to 
work on because it reminds us of what Christ has done for us. Jesus Christ defeating sin, forgiving us, offering us new life, all that found in his work. And as we trust in him, we find ourselves forgiven, we find ourselves empowered, we find ourselves justified. Where do you need to confess sin? Where have you been turned in on yourself? Where have you failed to love? What is the area in your life that you said, if I just try a little harder, but maybe you have not surrendered your life to Jesus Christ? Maybe take a moment to offer your own repentance and confession of sin before our Lord. And then we'll pray a prayer of confession on the screen together. Let me give you about 45, 50 seconds or so. this prayer of confession that's on the screen let's pray it together almighty God our heavenly father we have sinned against you and our neighbor through our own fault in thought in word and deed in what we have done and what we have left undone for the sake of your son our Lord Jesus Christ forgive us all our offenses and grant that we may serve you in newness of life to the glory of your name. Amen. Let's all stand. Let's sing in response. You give life. You are love. You bring light to the darkness. You restore every heart that is broken. Great are you, Lord. It's your breath in our lungs, so we pour out our praise, pour out our praise. It's your breath.
team come to my right I love this one quote from the author Brennan Manning who writes about confession he says confession and repentance 
are privileges to enjoy, not penalties to fear. They signal God, they signal good news about God's forgiveness, not bad news about our failures. Could you hear that today? Why do we confess? Why do we repent? Because it signals good news. Praise the Lord about God's forgiveness, about God's grace as found in Jesus Christ. As our prayer team comes forward, I imagine that there's some of you in this room, those of you watching online, and maybe you've been crushed by the weight of sin. Maybe you've been crushed by shame and guilt, crushed by your failures, crushed by the things that you had wished you would have arrived at by this point, but you're not there yet, and you wonder, what's wrong with me? You have not lived in the freedom that comes by living under the justifying grace of Jesus Christ. And so maybe today you came in crushed by your sins, and there's good news for you, that Christ has taken on your sin, that Christ has conquered sin and forgiven you. But maybe you need a fresh application of that in your life. At the end of our service, I'll offer a blessing, but feel free to come up for prayer to receive uh, grace for your time of struggle, for whatever need that you have. Also want to invite you, maybe you came into church today, maybe you're watching online, and I want to help you take your next step in a relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're sensing today, yeah, I want that freedom. I want that grace. I want that peace. I want that joy. We want to help you to take a step in following Jesus, of surrendering your life to him. And if that's something that you're sensing, something pulling you in that direction, we'd love to serve you. You can come up for prayer. You can also scan that QR code, and one of our pastors would love to follow up with you and help you take your next step. And maybe you came in here and you've said yes to Jesus, but you've not taken the next step of being baptized, in which we say, my life belongs to Jesus. It's a reminder that uh, our allegiance is to Jesus Christ. It reminds us that his blood washes us of our sin and offers us a new start. And so maybe you became a follower of Jesus two weeks ago, but you haven't been baptized. We want to help you take that next step. Or maybe you made a decision for Jesus two years ago, but you haven't taken that next step. We want to help you do that as well. And so you can come forward to one of our prayer team members, talk to one of our pastors, or just scan that QR code, and we'd love to help you take your next step. Also, feel free. Uh, we have this Lenten Bible study coming up. Uh, and so at the end of the services, you can scan that there to get more information and register for that. But there are going to be some good conversations in the upper uh, in this room, actually, uh, after the 11 a.m. service. We have the sermon discussion time for those of you watching uh, online, so feel free to click that link. But as we close, let me invite you to open your hands towards heaven. What good news that we do not have to live under the tyranny of sin, that we can live under the grace of Jesus Christ and offer that grace to the world around us. With your hands in your hearts in a posture of receiving brothers and sisters, sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building and out of this online gathering in the power of the Holy Spirit, receiving the justifying grace that comes in the name of Jesus and offering that grace to a broken 
fractured, fragmented world. May the grace of God heal you, sustain you, empower you. I bless you all in the strong, in the beautiful, in the justifying name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. Grace and peace. Take care.